Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. All right, everyone. Welcome to Dining on a Dime. This is our diner episode. Uh, we're going to talk diner and diner foods. First segment, uh, the first 15 minutes will be all about the history of diners. I got a lot of neat little uh, stats about diners. Segment two, we have two of the best foodies in the history of mankind. We have Matt Mertes, an alcohol expert. He's going to talk about alcohol in relation to diners. Uh, Amherst Pollock, one of the most popular foodies in the Philadelphia region. She is going to also uh, take over segment two. Uh, but segment one is going to be facts about diners that are going to blow your mind. I'm going to give a few. Amaris will give hers uh, a few of hers, and then we'll go to Matt. Segment two is going to be a really good segment. Let's start it off. Walter Scott was credited for creating the first diner. Uh, the first stationary diner was in 1913. What they used to do is they used to have wagon wheels, and diners were you know, rolled on wheels and until 1913. And that is when they became stationary in one spot, like you see today. In the 1950s, Jerry Mahoney, Jerry Mahoney, his company owned 6,000 diners around the country. Think about that. So that's in 1950s. And then women became regular workers in diners during World War I because their husbands were off to battle. Amherst, give a couple of facts about diners. Um, did you know that the traditional Russian breakfast has caviar? How about that, Matt? We need to move to Russia. <laughs> <laughs> to have a very fancy breakfast. How much energy does caviar <laughs> start the day? <laughs> start the day. I mean, I guess it gives you a pop of protein, literally a pop of protein, yeah. because they're little fish eggs. Um, and then... Britain started con the continental breakfast. So those continental breakfasts where it's like, you know, you have a biscuit and jam and, you know, for Britain, it would have been probably tea and not coffee. But right. here in America, we love our coffee. <laughs> we love coffee. Um, and that Morocco eats the most cereal in the world. Think about that, Amaris. What do you think about that? I mean, Morocco, would you, I would think it would be the USA, but Morocco is the I know. Leading? I would think that it would be the USA, too, because we have such a plethora of, like, options. You know, not to be redundant with my words, but... <laughs> yeah, but it is interesting. Well, Good. What are they eating? Morocco-os? <laughs> what is a cereal in Morocco? I know. I'm like, is it a base? Do, do they make it sugary? Or I don't know. They... That's a good question. Well, it is a good question because they, you know, I feel like in foreign countries, they're, they're either bereft of nutrients, no offense, um, <laughs> look forward to the hate mail on that one, right, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, they like to take things down to like a basic, you know, like... Say you went to France. I've been to France. Um, you know, those little... What? Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? No, no, no. <laughs> like, the, there's, like, little stores along the way that you can stop off and you can get, you know, bread. Basically, it's a sandwich, a hoagie or whatever, but they put it on a baguette. And it's... There's no fix... Like, there's no fix-ins. It's just bread, meat, and cheese. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, I wonder if their cereals are basic, too. I don't know. Um, and your typical breakfast in Brazil is cake. 
Wow. Check I, that out. I love now, Brazil. For any female out there that has a sweet tooth and, you know, they're having a craving, guys have cravings too. Yeah, I'm not going to discount why are we, you. Why are we limiting? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I know, typically, like, women are more of uh, the traditional people who have sweet tooths. Okay. Uh, but there, I do know that there's um, a company even in in Philly that makes um, Brazilian cakes. They're like little cake rolls, coulé. Um, Don't ask me to spell it. Nice. <laughs> Good to know. So, uh, Matt, what about you? Do you Matt have Maritea, any alcohol expert? Okay. Well, let's shift to a little more savory breakfast. <laughs> One of the most popular breakfasts in. Vietnam is probably the most popular breakfast is pho. Now, let me ask you guys that. Could you imagine waking up to pho? I mean, I couldn't imagine that. I mean, I love pho. And for me, like as a foodie, like if I'm craving something, it it won't matter what time of day. I've had sushi for breakfast. Did you really? Oh, yeah. yeah. In a way, I could because I believe pho is a great hangover cure Mm because you get that hot broth. You get some protein. It helps replenish, revitalize. Okay. You can add you hot have the sauce. noodles. Yeah, plenty of noodles. It uh, soaks everything up. But I mean, it is hearty, and we do eat oatmeal, which is essentially mushy soup. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? That is true. Arguable. It's close. Interesting. There's um, I I can't remember what um what genre of food it's under, but we, I went somewhere and it was. Not even grits. It was like a weird combination of almost grits and and oatmeal. It was very soupy, like you described. Um, But it was in a foreign or ethnic restaurant. um, And it had kimchi in it. It was like... Loaded with protein kimchi and because I like spice. I love kimchi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it its base was this grits slash oatmeal type thing. If you're out there listening and you know what I'm talking about, dining on a dime, yeah, yeah, feel free to reach out and be like, oh, I know what that's called. It's interesting. Well, it's funny you bring that up because that could be one of the many breakfast sides that comes with a typical Korean breakfast, right? Because right. they love kimchi which is fermented cabbage, right? which sort of crosses into my territory with alcohol. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, a Korean breakfast is typically a, a much more luxurious and a much bigger spread than we would imagine here. You see the commercials, you know, they got a bowl of cereal, maybe half a grapefruit and orange juice. You know, that's a typical commercial, you know, a nice breakfast. Maybe right. there's a side of toast. Uh they go way bigger okay. uh, in terms of nice spread out in Korea. And let's see, one more international. Yeah, fact. we're doing uh, diners and diner food. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why we're doing. Okay. If you're going to get toast at a diner in Australia, butter and jelly aren't going to be your only options. One of your most popular options is going to be Vegemite. And we all remember that. Oh, yeah. But we remember that from the Men at Work song, Vegemite Sandwich. That is in a Men at Work. Men at Work song? Men at Work is an Australian band, and they had a huge hit back in the 80s. 
uh, land down under. He met and a man in Brussels. He yeah, was six, six foot four, four and full of muscles. muscles. And I do not know this. Oh, it's one of the, it was the biggest hit, right? I'm, I'm looking at both Taylor, of them. You know from, it. Like they they have two oh, he faces. Doesn't know. Taylor doesn't know it either. It is a men at work. Taylor called, and I are like, what? It's, it's <laughs> called Land Down Under. It was in the 80s. It was a huge hit. And one of the lines in the song is Vegemite Sandwich. And that is what mm-hmm. Matt's talking about. Okay, I've never actually tasted Vegemite, but from what everybody says, it's not good. Um, oh, okay. And it's 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 a preference. You have to learn to love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, it's something else that sort of jumps into my territory on the alcohol sense because it is a uh, it's a dark brown spread that's made from leftover brewer's yeast extract. And, you know, different vegetables and spices, depending on where you are, what regions. Yes. But brewer's brewer's yeast is incredibly nutritional, actually. I wonder if that would be less of a breakfast thing to, like, to chow down on versus, like, offer it at a brewery with, like, and and make it, I don't know, somehow creative. Mm. Maybe. What do you got next? I, this is not new, with not knowing what on God's green earth it <laughs> tastes like. With a nice oil can of Foster. <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> what, what other facts we got, Matt? Yeah. Um, speaking all along the lines of bread, jumping from that, Turkey is the world is the the country that consumes the most bread in the world. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you think about Stroman and all that we have here, and Turkey is the most bread consumption in the world. I'm a mayor. I mean, guy, it's a. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I would, I would assume because it's an easy filler, you know. Yeah, I guess. Um, although I would have gone with uh, Paris, France again because of how how much um, emphasis they put on yeah, croissants. with croissants and baguettes and you know things like that. But is a croissant bread? Yes, it is. It's a pastry. <laughs> it's it's bread-ish pastry. I mean, it's, you know, it's carbs. It's definitely carbs with a ton of butter in it, which is why it's nice and, and dis- distinguished with its flavor. It's a succulent bread. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm going to take the wheel for yeah. a couple, because we only have a couple minutes till break. I really want this first segment to focus on diners. I think I gave you guys the food part. Uh, New Jersey is known as the diner capital of the world. They have over 600 diners in, the, in, in New Jersey. The looks of the modern-day diner did not start till after World War II. Oh, here's interesting. Uh, more than 500 diners in New York City are Greek-owned. That's interesting. I think that's interesting. I feel like interesting, a, not shocking. Yeah, right, not right. shocking because I feel like a lot of the diners around here in Jersey and, and Philly are also Greek owned. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, most diners feature regional cuisine. That's your attraction mm-hmm. to it. They, you can go there at a local diner and it'll be regional cuisine. First diner is credited to be in Rhode Island in 1872. Uh, it was common in the night. Oh, here's it. And, I, and then we could talk about this because we got a few minutes. This is interesting. It was common during the 1920s for a prostitute <laughs> to tell the police that she worked at a diner when they picked her up because she had the wad of cash. So they started manipulating the fact that women worked at diners because of World War One, like we said earlier. And they would just say, if they got picked up by the police, police would be like, how come you have so much cash? They would blame it on working at a diner. That is why 
Matt, I don't know if you remember, but there's like a cliche about women in diners. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. is probably why. Uh, there, no, there's just, you know, in the old days, they used to uh, have a negative uh, connotation. Connotation. All right. Uh, from 2007, and we'll talk about this later in the show, but from 2007 to 2011, business at diners declined 5 to 25%. And... The children of the family-owned diner started to decline taking over the family business. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is something we're going to touch on later. Uh, It is interesting to me that uh, as foodies became more popular, the diner was hurt because foodies were looking for chef stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that? There was a similar downturn in the 1970s upon the advent of you know readily available fast food that's when your mcdonald's right. started your wendy's things like that that also cut in to the diner business and, and that's i think that's a real shame and that is a shame and what about the fact that the kids are didn't even want to take over the diner i thought that was well i mean children in general especially u.s children um want to pave their own way right so that doesn't actually shock me that children are like no i don't want to do that plus it's a lot of work you know if you're in the restaurant business there's a lot more that goes on behind and in front of the house too you know behind scenes they're they're running a bunch of stuff they have to cook they have to have the ability to cook a number a large quantity of different foods you know push it out on the line and have it be quality control too and you have to be flexible as a cook at a diner i can imagine Mm -hmm. i can only imagine you have to have a wider range of talents because that well that's yeah that's what i just said that menu goes from eggs to steak you know what i mean so you have to be flexible so that's another thing and uh, we're about to take our first break you are listening to the dining on a dime diner and diner food episode and that's what the title is going to be let's take a break Attention, restaurant and food truck owners. We understand times are tough and dining out is different. What if your customers already had your full menu with prices and pictures on their phones? The awesome folks at Weaverville Web Design is partnering with this podcast to give away an ultra-fast online menu and two years free hosting. Stay tuned to this podcast for more details. WeavervilleWebDesign.com can build you the perfect online menu. Fast, user-friendly, and easy to read with great pictures. Your cuisine will look absolutely amazing. Let WeavervilleWebDesign.com show your cuisine to the world. Okay, we are back. Dining on a Dime. This episode is about diners and diner food. So I want to make that clear because we're talking about a lot of food. But we're talking about diners and diner food. This segment is going to be a uh, spin-the-wheel segment, just a car blanche talk. Uh, We have two of the most popular foodies in the tri-state area with us. Uh, Let's swing it to Amaris. Amaris has some good facts, fun facts about uh, diners that she would like to share. And Amaris, take over the wheel. Well, I actually, um, in preparation of this, wanted to look up because there is a diner that is, you know, close to me where Jersey Girl was filmed. So then I was just like, all right, let's see what other diners, you know, are real in real life that, you know, films have films or TV shows have been filmed at um, that was, we can actually go to. Was that the Ben Affleck movie with Liv Tyler? Yeah, that was. Ah. 
literally it's so it's like within a 20 minute drive from where I live and so if you go there um, to the Berlin Diner it's I guess off of Main Street in Berlin and um, it's you know there's silver on the outside they revamped it after the, the movie was shot there but you know if you go in you can actually ask to sit in the seat that they were in and so it's this whole thing and there's like this little plaque it's it's cute but you know a little cliche you're over here shaking your head I, I don't want to share cheek space with Affleck I want Liv Tyler's seat <laughs> Well, I mean, you'll have to suffer through some of the movie to go see, like, which side that she sat on then. You hear that? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so in like I think most people know the show Seinfeld um, so the exterior of the diner that was shot is actually in New York City and it's called Tom's Re- um, yeah Tom's Restaurant so I thought that was kind of cool because you can go out to to that rest uh, that diner and take a shot in front of it and that you know you're kind of incorporating yourself into Seinfeld um, for all of our fans that like that show and then with um the oh yes oh yes the moment um yeah and when harry met sally that was filmed in the cat's delicatessen in new york city so if you want to have um a really amazing soup (laughs) you can go there and um and be sally we'll say um for those of us who are across the, the, the ocean on the other side of the world, Midnight in Paris was filmed in, and um, I, I apologize if this pronunciation is wrong, but Le Polidor, which is a restaurant that actually dates back to 19, or sorry 1845 in Paris. Um, the film kind of reflected a real-life um like crossover where Zelda and Scott Fitzgerald used to actually meet up with Gertrude Stein at that restaurant. So that's actually kind of cool because it's, you know, it delves back into actual history. Um, But also people like Ernest Hemingway and James Joyce frequented that bistro as well. Well, you know, drunks need food whenever. Exactly. We need to bet. Well, I'm not a drunk, but <laughs> when you when you drink too much, you need to balance your alcohol with, you know, the greasy foods so mm-hmm. that you sober up. And, you know, they, they used to write part of some of their books in that in that uh, restaurant. So that I thought was very cool. Um, Twin Peaks, which has had a remake. Um, the remake is The Return. The Return is actually filmed at the same diner that twi- the original Twin Peaks was filmed in. So that one is in um, North Bend, Washington. And the diner is called Tweed's Cafe. So if you feel like, yeah, if you feel like having, you know, some spooky Twin Peaks diner food, that's where you can go in uh, North Bend, Washington. Um then for Goodwill Hunting, if you want to have some of these apples, <laughs> yeah. 
um, you can go to the L Street Tavern in South Boston. Um, little side note is that the whole entire cast, after they would film shoot or stop shooting for the day there we go they used to actually go back to that tavern and have have drinks so after every and you know shooting day they would have drinks How about that? yeah i mm-hmm. thought that was kind of cool i have a lot more but um you know i i also reached out to some of the foodies and and whatnot and so i was like you know what's your favorite diner food so matt what is your favorite diner food uh, I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to get past general breakfast, but I think I've got to go with French toast okay. because in diners you always get an absorbent amount of French toast. They give you what, like six or seven pieces, or you get it sliced down the middle and they're stacked up on both sides you get the butter in the middle i just think the presentation the way they make it it's always great uh you can get whatever sides you want that and i'll give an honorable mention to the regional favorites pork roll and scrapple that that (laughs) is correct and what i try to do every time i uh, blog about a diner is i always always order scrapple Mm-hmm. Because uh, just so everyone knows, you're listening around the country. We had 16 different uh, states listen last week. Uh, in Philadelphia area, this is where we record the show. Scrapple is the main thing. Uh, it's a big deal uh, on diner menus. I always order Scrapple because I think if you can make good Scrapple, pretty much talented because Scrapple can turn out wrong a lot. Well, yeah, and it's also like you it's one of those things where you don't want to know what you're eating. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you don't know how to cook, you really are going to screw up your Scrapple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so well, that's why I get Scrapple. We could offer a brief explanation of what Scrapple yeah, is. Go ahead. So essentially yeah. it is uh, pieces of pork uh, that's, you know, maybe some extra little fats or trimmings that's combined with uh, cornmeal, wheat flour, sometimes uh, buckwheat flour, and some spices. Nice. So it's uh, it, it's kind of like a, a fried pork loaf, if you will, but it's delicious. It comes you know from the origins of the Mennonites and the Amish and those people in the area. So it's a very historic and traditional Pennsylvania Dutch food that's become and still remains our modern staple. Well, it's also like probably from the the tradition of like don't waste anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the reason why I am apprehensive of eating scrapple and hot dogs for that same reason is that it's kind of the parts that we wouldn't normally traditionally choose to eat. So, you know, I just don't look at the ingredients. <laughs> I stay away. <laughs> but um and, and another thing with the pork roll, I mean, we have John John Cole who's one of our co-hosts. Yeah, co-hosts who is huge into pork roll to the point where he actually recently turned mushrooms into pork roll. Oh wow. Yeah, so he wanted to do something for the vegetarians. So he took mushrooms, I think portobello would be my guess. Nice. Um but there's mm-hmm. pork roll seasoning. Which 
which he added on top of that and then, you know, grilled it on the flat top. And according to his wife and his wife's boss, it turned out really well. Sounds good, though. It does. It sounds good. I mean, it's definitely an alternate for, you know, people who don't eat meat. But pork roll, a.k.a. Taylor Ham, there's that argument in the foodie world, um, is a huge tradition in, you know, the diners and in this area. Yeah. And that's why people go to diners to get regional food. And exactly. that's what you would get in the tri-state. Exactly. Um, some of the other stuff that was brought up, there was a lot of SOS, which I'm not going to say. I'll tell you what. If that's done homemade and that's done good, the uh, the cream chip beef is excellent. Yeah. Ex- Ooh, yeah. It really is. And if it's done right. Exactly. Now, I actually had this a little discussion, a micro discussion, if you will, with uh, Corner Pub Ron. Nice. Uh, Ron Silverman. So uh, one of my friends or one of my people that I have associated with on several occasions um she makes a cream chip beef which is outstanding um i i never really chose to have cream chip beef before and you know and i have had it but like when she made it i was like i couldn't get enough i actually went for like a second bowl and and i was like and our listeners in the military know sos very Mm -hmm. well (laughs) yeah so um so sos is definitely a popular like diner food and popular within this area and um you know obviously the military too because it's an easy meal and what's interesting is we're talking diner food and yet we're mentioning regional foods. There's probably people in California that has no idea. You know what I mean? That, that what, so that's well, what, I, that's I, the point we're trying to get across. Perhaps they don't have an idea, but it is kind of a popular thing. So maybe they know of it. Possible. They just don't eat it because I feel like if you live in California, you're a little bit more health conscious. Right. So maybe some of the traditional diner foods that we have, they've made it slightly healthier. Right. You know, and so like. Well, they have. Uh, I've been out there a, a number of times, and sure, there's some more health conscious, you know, granola, oh, right. crunchy, yada, yada. Parfait. I'm not going to that place. I'm not going to those places. <laughs> what, what they do have is they have those influences of the Hispanic culture, Mexican culture. Nice. So you get a lot of breakfast burritos. You get uh, things that come from the different number of Asian cultures that are there. It's and we consistently, a very international style. Let me ask you this. We consistently get uh, listeners in San Antonio, Dallas, and that area every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think uh, they might have in a regional menu? Ooh. What do you think? Uh, well, they're going to get some eggs miga style for okay. sure. All yeah. right. And then maybe some breakfast chilies. I think that would be uh, really awesome. And we want to uh, say hello to our listeners. They listen every week. Dallas, San Antonio, we want to say hello. Mm -hmm. Uh, Amherst, keep going. Um, Okay, so I actually pulled up some of the recipes because I was challenged to do this. Okay. Um, I mean, some of them, obviously, I know off the top of my head. As I said, I'm not like a big cream chip beef kind of fan, so I was like, I've never actually made that myself. Uh-huh. So I did look up the recipe, but it's super simple. Um, and one of the the tricks of the trade that my friend, what made her cream chip beef so good is that she went to the Amish Mart and she actually had the butcher shaving off the, like, right then and there, but it was, like, fresh. It was much more fresh. Right. Um, and she, you know, she was like, this is the reason, this is the reason why it tastes so much better. Nice. And I was like, all right. So she actually had the butcher shave it off of um, the the beef round um, 
you know, thin slices, so it's nice and salty, but it was fresh. And it was so much better. And, you know, awesome. it, she used the traditional, like, the milk, the cream, the roux to create it with the, you know, the cayenne pepper and pepper salt, you know, and salt. But it just came out perfectly. Now, what I discussed with um, my significant other is I was thinking about trying to recreate that, but also take Texas toast and let it like sit, nice. sit out overnight. So that it sounds got terrific. No, no, no. Here, here. That me does out. Sound like, oh, you're talking about the cream with the toast. I think it sounds good. Well, yeah, because traditionally, I think you put it on rye. Right. So um, what I was thinking about is actually letting the Texas toast um, get stale overnight and then brushing it with like basting it with some butter and toasting it in the oven so it infuses in and then doing the cream chip beef on top of that. I feel nice. like that would give you uh, more bang for your buck because it would be, you know, thicker. But Matt's making a face because you might not think the cream goes with the Texas toast, yeah, right? I, I'm, I'm very much a, a toast traditionalist. <laughs> um, and I don't like the idea of, I mean, I know it's a tactic. I just, I, I'm not a fan of letting something stale in order to use it. Uh, right. <laughs> well, okay, because French toast, if you want to make really good French toast, you let the bread go stale overnight so that it sucks all the like the eggs and the um, French vanilla and the cream sugar, cinnamon, all of that mm. will get kind of sucked up and infuse it a little bit more, and it's so much better. Yes, but you just said you're letting the Texas toast sit, and then you're going to brush it in the morning. So it's not really getting infused in any of that. No, I am, because I'm going to baste it in the morning with the the butter and like kind of toast it in the oven so it infu like it does right, suck but then it back that's in. after the fact what do you what do you, i don't know what you're getting at because <laughs> i feel like because you just leave in toast out like do you have animals that's not gonna last i don't have animals so that <laughs> the cat's gonna get it the oh. dog's gonna get it then leave it it's how you get ants i hear you i hear you let's take a break when we come back we're gonna be talking alcohol uh, in diners. We're still on diners, but we're going to talk alcohol. We'll be right back. You can now listen to the Dining on a Dime podcast on Amazon Music or directly through your Alexa device. Okay, we're back. We're back. And uh, segment two was great. We talked a lot of good stuff about recipes and diner food. Now we're going to go to our alcohol expert his name is matt maritea uh he is an is true expert in the field uh let's talk about alcohol in diners how does that play a role matt sure uh and i just want to say though me and amorous have differing opinions on <laughs> right. many breakfast foods i do think texas toast has its merits okay let's let's go I'm on a, to alcohol i'm a big fan <laughs> of the texas toast um so in terms of alcohol right. uh in a diner, it can be worked a lot of different ways. I know here locally in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, we have you know interesting liquor laws, and we have the possibility of BYOB, which is I think really uh, it gives you the chance to make your own combinations and essentially bring your own bottles uh, to these uh, places. And I know from working in a diner as a server. Uh, in my past, that people will bring alcohol uh, if you let them. And they'll bring it any time of day and any variety of such. Right. Uh, you know, I think it gives you the uh, chance to make yourself a nice little Sunday brunch. 
You can bring your champagne. We'll have the orange juice for you. Um, you know, some diners, they have the ability to have beer on hand, which is great. Uh, right. I, you know, but having the ability to bring your own and, you know, have it, having it be welcomed, I think is a really unique aspect to sort of diner culture, if you will. And it can provide for really interesting combinations because you essentially know what is going to be on the menu for the diner, right? There's going to be maybe one or two specials. Uh, but other than that, you know, you're going to have your chicken parm, your pasta. You're going to have one or two Greek dishes, maybe gyro, souvlaki, uh, something like that. You got a nice tzatziki sauce on the side. Uh, you have all your breakfast favorites, right? Or, uh, you know, you get your meat sides, you know, bacon, uh, pork sausage. roll, sausage, scrapple, uh, corned beef hash is one of my favorites. Uh, you get your pancakes, eggs, French toast, waffles. You know, it, it's all there. You have your sandwiches, your burgers, your clubs. You know, you know what's there, and you have the ability to bring whatever you want. So it offers you know interesting pairings, whether it's alcohol uh, or you know bringing beer. Right. So, I mean, you also have to make sure that the diner is okay. Like, call ahead to make sure that they don't have any kind of lean against them if you bring the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you don't want to get the diner in trouble. Well, let's go this road. What do you recommend uh, for like an egg, uh, bacon, egg, and toast uh, thing? And you want to, you know, people do have breakfast at night. Yes. Uh, uh, what do you think? Breakfast at night with a... I make breakfast for dinner all yeah. the time. I mean, a breakfast. Okay, so breakfast at night, I would go like that chicken makes, and I would see, almost. That makes it a little tougher, right? Because right. uh, like, your it standard does. morning drinks, I just don't don't think apply. Like, I'm not gonna start popping. Well, off obviously, at mimosa though, right? At, like six thirty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna what about say mimosas, mimosas yeah. are definitely or mimosas. Yeah, champagne. You gonna have in the morning, right? Yeah, but if it's at night, I think then you've got to go something. A little different. I think well, that's can, when you lean you into can your get, beers. You can get away, though, with like a Bloody Mary because that's, you know, got more of a savory thing going on. Sure. Bloodies are eternal. I mean, that you right. can have that at any time, any point. Yeah. What about what do you guys think about Shirley Temple? <laughs> uh, the, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Quite, quite, she was quite the talent. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was adorable. <laughs> um, I, I feel like because I mean some of the stuff that I wrote down, and I actually like prepped um, some recipes. You know, some of it, as I said, I knew ahead of time just because I have I do cook a lot, um, or at least I used to cook all the time. Um, you know, but like you can do. S- Hash and eggs, like the um, corned beef mm-hmm. hash and eggs, I think is is a perfect one because it's it's like a hearty meal, you know, and you can cheese it up if you want. If like I feel like if you add extra, well, not that you know cheese is part of it, but if you add cheese on top of the hash and eggs, I feel like it would make it more of a dinner kind of thing. And you could have that beer. Yeah. This would be perfect for the beer. Yeah, I mean, the more protein you have uh, on the plate, I think the better it pairs with something like that. Yeah, yeah that's a great uh, point, actually. The level of salt definitely helps. <laughs> now, would you go with an IPA or would you go with um, more of a darker, you know, stouty kind of? Uh, probably neither. I, you know, IPAs is going to be fruity and citrusy. I, I don't really necessarily want that with my beef and eggs. 
or uh, and a stout, that's going to be dark. It's going to be... It's a heavier beer. Right. It, it, depending if what kind it is, if it has those sort of coffee notes, if it's made in that style, it could be something that you enjoy, uh, like a stout or a porter. But if it leans more on the chocolatey side, then yeah, you're probably going to want to skip that, save it for dessert. So I think you've got to go with your a little close to the standard bears. You want your pale ales or maybe your lagers, right? Clean, crisp, uh, not going to overwhelm anything, but complement the underlying when sweetness you cook, when, and saltiness. When you cook breakfast at home, Matt, what do you do? Because you're an excellent cook. What, mm-hmm. do, you, what do you go to? Because you said you like French toast at the diner, but yes. what do you go to at home? Uh, I mean, at home, uh, I'm a big fan of the leftovers omelet. <laughs> okay. Uh, taking whatever Kitchen I had. Sink. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the night before, getting that involved with my you know morning eggs, nice. some cheese. Uh, I love uh, trying to add spice. Uh, you know, taking a nice cherry pepper spread and folding that into the middle of my omelet, putting that on a breakfast sandwich. Uh, yeah, it's all. Uh, I like to make uh, pancakes too. I think that's always fun to do at home. Um, waffles, I'm still working on. Yeah, it's I, tough. I, waffles are not my favorite. The only time I ever like them is with the chicken and waffles kind of combo. Well, I I had uh, an old waffle maker that was I, I think thirty or forty years my senior, okay. and, and <laughs> it finally gave up. Uh, you know, shortly after the Bazell maker, oh, rest in peace <laughs> to both of them. But uh, now it, it's hard finding that old griddle style waffle that you can do at home. That it's, you know, because I don't necessarily want to be making Belgian waffles at home. No. You know, I want something a little thinner, a little crisper. Yeah. You okay. put the butter on and it just sort of melts down the little holes. Yeah. What is your opinion on, because for for a very short period of time, um, there was a trend where they were taking banana bread and turning it into French toast. Because I love French toast. And then adding, you know, something that's already sweet and, and turning it into a French toast, I'm wondering if that would just be overly abundant in the sweet factor. Uh, no way. Uh, I really like the idea of having those sweets because you can spice that up. You could add a little extra cinnamon to that uh, banana bread if you want. You can add a little nutmeg, bring out some different flavors. I love using a cinnamon raisin loaf to make French toast. Yeah, that, that, That's that one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you get the ones that are iced at the top. Yeah. That's, nice. uh, it may be a little excessive, but you know, I have one of those feminine sweet tooths <laughs> that Aramis is talking about. All right. <laughs> and Amaris, what else do you have on your uh, discussion list? Um, chi- well, okay, so Philly Grub actually had mentioned chicken croquettes, and I love them. That's a great point because hmm. a lot of diners specialize in them. Yeah, they, yes. and they'll put them on their sp- their uh, menu specials for the night. Oh, we have him. Uh oh. Oh, we have a celebrity. <laughs> the number one. The number one diner expert in the state of New Jersey. Nobody knows diners better than John Cole. John Cole's a co-host on the show. It's so exciting to have him on the phone. Let's talk diners, John. Hey, glad to be with you guys. I uh, I figured I would give everybody a break because you're schooling them too much with facts. Man. The show is becoming like college. They need a week off to absorb all that information. Right. Hatch chili season in New Mexico, man. Give them a break. 
<laughs> well, John, I mean, I've been no. fo- I've been following you, and you've actually been uh, becoming quite quite skilled at turning things that would be traditional diner foods, and and cooking things in your air fryer. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any suggestions on how to make things healthier? Yeah, well, healthier, no. <laughs> Better yet, always. No, the air fryer is, in all honesty. Uh, it is a healthier way to cook. And that's not how I started, to be quite honest. But, you know, the lockdown hit people. And, you know, people have it much worse than me. I'm not going to say that at all. But people who know me know my lifestyle involved a lot of going out, a lot of diners. Um, so when all those things closed, I sort of missed that food. Uh, you and I were talking a while back about uh, diner food and dishes or whatever. Right. And so I had to sort of think of a way to kind of recreate some of those diner dishes at home. And, you know, uh, like most people, I have a normal kitchen. I don't have a fryolator. I don't have a huge griddle, um, you know, flat top, anything like that. So I had to kind of get creative a little bit. Uh, one of the things I did was um, I had a local metal worker make me a little top for my outdoor grill. Okay. So I could sort of do a little flat top thing type thing. And then, of course, I got the air fryer, and that really sort of changed things because you can you can find a healthy way to make fries and some other things without you know without a gallon of peanut oil and all the extra bad, bad stuff. I'm not even going to pretend to know what's bad. I just, I just <laughs> right. know it's bad. You're like I eat the bad stuff because it tastes really good, and I don't care. <laughs> it's the truth. Fat is flavor. I mean, they've been saying that for the longest time. And I don't want to disrespect anybody, but if I take a piece of clean white fish and two people cook it and somebody does it in, you know, a safflower oil that was harvested at midnight in Elvin Woods and I do it in bacon fat, my fish is going to taste better. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from the other person. They'll probably live longer. The food will probably be considered much healthier or whatever. I just know that I've got a piece of fish cooked in baking fat and people are going to eat it, especially on like a taco. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they and they won't question it. They, they'll be like, this tastes really good. How did you make it? And you're going to be like, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> and they're going to be like, okay. Uh, okay. You know, it's really funny. They passed laws a while back about you have to know what's in your food. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think people want to know. I really don't. They don't want to know they don't want to know how, like, your favorite fast food joint gets that spicy chicken sandwich to taste that good. <laughs> they really don't want to know that. They say, oh, I don't do this at home. Well, no, of course not, because you're not putting 72 grams of fat right. into a spicy chicken sandwich. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where being home, I wanted to kind of, you know, I mean, if people who've seen me on social media or listen to the show they kind of know the foods that are in my wheelhouse, things that I've done. And I kind of wanted to stop posting the same, the same pictures all the time. People know I can do a grilled cheese sandwich. People know I can make a burger. So I wanted to try to take this lockdown time to think of newer things, newer dishes, ways to use. When I learned to cook, I mean, TV was almost still black and white. I'm an old man. So me too. When, yeah. when I learned to cook, there was four or five kind of methods you used to cook professionally or personally, and that was it. Now we've got tons of equipment 
that are available for residential use. Um, and one of them is the air fryer. I mean, the technology is, is is been around for a while. It's essentially convection oven technology, and I don't want to spoiler alert the air fryer to people because <laughs> people people are shocked. You know what I mean? They get their air fryer and then they stop at you know the big box store and they grab the five gallon jug of oil. You don't need to do that. That's not how the air fryer works. John, diners have a reputation. For some diner cooks, they take shortcuts to uh, get the food done, such as cans and steam tables. What are your thoughts on that? They, that's why they're called short order cooks. Uh, what is your thoughts you on know, that? I think, I think that's something that you sort of really don't see very much anymore. Okay. For the simple reason that everybody knows, everybody is on to it now. Way back when I first broke in, um, there were always cans, big frozen stuff or whatever. This is probably the 1980s. Diners didn't have a great reputation for culinary. Uh, people loved their coffee. People loved hanging out in a Jersey diner. But let's be honest, the food was not great. Right. The food was usually cheap and the food was usually there because diners used to be open 24 hours. Exactly. Then. So you couldn't, just like Wawa today, you can't complain too much about the quality of your food at 2.30 in the morning. You're just glad somebody's there and you don't have to make it yourself. I would say that if there are any diners still doing that in New Jersey, and like you said, New Jersey's the diner capital of the world. Yes. If you're still get doing that in 2020, stop. Do not do that. I don't care what the owner tells you. I don't care what the manager tells you. Make the point that using that food is more expensive. And it just doesn't taste as good. It never does. I was going to say. a big army-sized can of corn, it doesn't work out. I was going to say, you can taste the difference. I, I've definitely gone to diners, um, I want to say, 10 years ago, where I was still tasting mm -hmm. that that canned, you know, taste. Because it it, yep. it stays. It, you know, just in, infiltrates the, the, the veggie or whatever it is that they're serving you. And you can taste how bad that actually is. And so if you go to a diner and you taste that, if I taste that, I, I will 100% refuse to eat it and, you know, send yeah. it back to the kitchen. I'll eat it. Another <laughs> thing is the way they cooked that food back then was all in big steam tables. All that did was intensify that unpleasant can taste. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like they were putting it in your face that we're not using, you know, here in New Jersey, we're called the garden state for a reason. If you can't find corn, tomatoes, whether it's in season or out of season, even from like a produce junction, uh, you're not trying. You really just want to serve cafeteria food. And quite frankly, in 2020, even cafeterias shouldn't be serving cafeteria food. There's no reason why in a state like New Jersey, we're only about two and a half hours from High Point to Cape May. Yep. Mm -hmm. And an hour from Trenton to Atlantic City, hour and 15 minutes. There's no reason in a state this geographically small and very so populous that you can't get some fresh vegetables, that you can't get some fresh, uh, some fresh meat. You know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with if you have a pool party at your house and you grab like a box of frozen burgers or something like that from a big box store, there's nothing wrong with that. 
when you claim to be a professional eatery, I don't care if it's a diner, bar, whatever, and you're serving people the same food they could get at home or even lower quality than they use at home, there's zero motiv- motivation nowadays for them to come and see you. There really isn't. I mean, there's the lockdown. People have to eat, you know what I mean, out on the curb, outside. There can only be four, six people in the dining room. Right. It's just not worth it to them. You know what I mean? It's really not worth it to them to kind of go through that. So diners in particular, and in South Jersey, I'm seeing a lot of it. A lot of the South Jersey diners, uh, Ponzio's, Vincenttown, um, Cherry Hill Diner, these are places that are going out of their way to up their food game. You know, they're putting it out there on social media. The Silver Diner, they're putting it out there. Hey, we're using fresher ingredients. You know what I mean? We're using stuff that's, you know, does antibiotic, is free range, is cruelty free, cage free. They're making the effort. To reward them for making the effort, I'd love to see people, even now during the lockdown, getting takeout, getting curbside. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, one of the big things used to be like 18, 19, I got, you know, I got my license at 17, 18 years old. You're sitting in your vehicle with your buddies and everybody's got food and everybody's just hanging out. Maybe the radio's playing. This is a great opportunity for people to kind of jump back to that. Right. You know what I mean? They have to eat curbside anyway. <laughs> um, I'm seeing people use the tailgating vibe. They're literally people tailgating out at the Silver Diner in, in, um, in Terry Hill. I if saw- anyone listening to this is familiar with the area, yep. you know what I mean? It's like a Target. It's like a big mall area. They have a huge parking lot. Part of that parking lot's got tables and chairs. Every day is like a picnic out there. I I actually yeah. went by a Wawa and it's um on the regular on a regular basis because I drive all the time and there is a bunch of old men who have been camping out in a in a circle in in the yeah. Wawa parking lot. So it really is becoming you know the new norm. I think it's that's just what you like do when you're waiting to die. <laughs> You're not waiting to die. Billy's right, though. When I was a kid, that's what guys did. They were retired. They had come back from the war. Their kids had left. They hated their wives. They would sit out in front of a Wawa at like 7 o'clock in the morning, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and just waiting for the Reaper to come. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's the truth. You'd see the look in their face. You'd be like, good morning. And now, you know, and they would, you would get the FU back. You know, it wasn't like today's Wawa where you go in and they hold the door for you and it's all go birds and have a great day. That's not the way it was in Wawa when I was a kid. When I was like 18, 19, a bunch of old people in front of the store, men particularly, and they were pissed off. And that was how they lived their lives. I think you can take move that to 2020 and flip it around. You know what I mean? I, I, right. I see people having coffee dates. You know what I mean? Um, a buddy of mine says, oh, I call my sister. We grab coffee in the morning. You know what I mean? They've nice. sort of taken that old habit and flipped it around to something positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what? because I I'm, I'm, don't know if you've been out and about at all, but I've definitely been driving around and I've seen that diners, um, which traditionally, yes, we went to and ate inside. They've now, you know, made pop-up tents where they've put like, 
you know, planters and stuff on the outside and turn part of their parking lot into their dining area. Um, that seems to be the, the new popular thing for diners since they needed to pivot, not just to pick up food because they do do takeout, but, um, but also, you know, to keep the tradition of eating at the diner alive. Yeah. Have you been seeing that? Oh yeah. For the most part, I think eating out is a 50, 50 proposition. And I talked about this years ago. Um, eating out, I think is a 50, 50 proposition. Half of it is the food. The other half of it is the socialization aspect. We didn't use that term back then, but it was getting together with friends and family. Uh, it was just going to the place, the atmosphere, the vibe of the place. As soon as the lockdown hit, you you instantly lost 50% of the motivation for people to go out to eat, right? Right. And then mm-hmm. as I was discussing earlier, there's a whole bunch of cooking methodologies and equipment now that you can recreate diner food at home. Yes. Yeah. So they really have to sort of think about how are we going to, re- you know, follow the law. I mean, I'm certainly not saying anybody not follow the guidelines, and follow the <laughs> right. law, but how are they going to follow the guidelines and the law and still get people to come in? And I think you're seeing these tents. Like Amber said, I drive down Route 130. I see tents in every parking lot that has a restaurant, a bar, a diner, whatever you want to call it. You drive down 70, 73. Mm-hmm. It's all the same store. 72 down like you're heading down towards the shore. You would think it's just like one camping store after another. Hey, John, we have uh, Matt Maratea has a question for you. He's dying to ask you. Good, Matt. Hey, John, Matt here. Uh, I wanted you to weigh in on one of my favorite breakfast items, especially at diners, and that is the breakfast potato. And specifically, I want to know... What kind of breakfast potatoes do you prefer? Are you into the more hash brown style? Do you want a nice cube potato, peppers and onions? Tell us what you think is the peak breakfast potato. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'll say, no, no, I'll say it depends a little bit. And I don't want to cop out here because I have my favorite. But I would say that it depends on what your breakfast is. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do, everybody knows my favorite breakfast sandwich is pork roll, egg, and cheese. That's a surprise to no one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Last couple of years, I've started throwing a hash brown onto pork roll, egg, and cheese, and it's delicious. So if you're getting some kind of breakfast to go running out the door, you really probably want to just go with a hash brown because it just works better, easier. Uh, flavor-wise, if you're or if you're going to do a breakfast burrito, then you probably want more like home fries. You know what I mean? Cubed mm-hmm. potatoes cooked in uh, fat. You know, we'll I say fat. Come on now. Peppers, onions. What? I was going to say fat. Let's if say cooking, butter, <laughs> bacon fat. If you're, if you, no, you're right. If you're not cooking potatoes in fat, stop. Throw away the potatoes you're not cooking in fat. Peel more potatoes and cook those in fat. <laughs> um, fat is potatoes best friend I don't care if it's duck fat um, Some places do beef fat potatoes And I would say right now That's probably My go to They had them at Oh god was it the Red Hen I'm trying to think of I know they had them over at uh, the Robin's Nest In Mount Holly They were doing cubed potatoes like Matt mentioned But they were cooked in beef fat And Ooh. then they had Cheese and um, an egg on top, like a wow. egg on top. That's and I'll tell cool. you right now, when you 
when you put your fork through that egg and you got some of it, usually it's like a, like a Cooper cheese sauce, Cooper whiz, like we would call it in our part of the country. But, uh, like almost like a Cooper cheese fournay, I guess, for people who are living, you know, not in our area. And listening. <laughs> right. Uh, cheese sauce. There is nothing like that. It's just like a little salt and pepper and hot sauce. I don't know right now if you can beat potatoes cooked in beef fat. I really don't. Right. I haven't. I've done. I've done potatoes cooked a bunch of different ways, and I got to tell you, I, I, I almost, for breakfast. That's the way to go. I almost kind of want to try the beef fat potatoes with like a beer cheese on top. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's, yeah right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Hey, John, we're down to our last. We're down to our last three minutes. I want you to give everybody your perspective of the state of diners in this day and age. You're a diner expert, restaurant consultant. Uh, Let's get. Let's uh, give your aspect, and then we got uh, we got three minutes left. Go ahead, John. State of the diner address. All right, let me just throw this out there real quick. Let me just throw this out there real quick. Everything I know about diners, I learned from Pete Genovese. He's sort of like. Mm -hmm. The Pope of New Jersey food. He's we've, he's been on this show before. He's written books on diners. He continues to cover diners. There's certain things that you judge a diner by, and it's their vibe. It, it basically comes down to two things: their vibe and their food. You can walk into a diner and, like Amara said earlier, you know when the food's not going to be good. The place is <laughs> right. clean. Um, you know that's not going to work, right? Right now in 2020, you've got a ton of diners that are closed or partially closed or only doing curbside takeout. And I would say right now, this is Jersey. So diners are always going to survive in some form, maybe not all of them and maybe not everywhere. But I would say to anyone listening to this, your diner should be doing two things. They should be serving you the best possible food they can. Simple, nothing crazy. You know what I mean? I don't need breakfast from James Beard. Right. You know what I mean? I need egg, potatoes, uh, maybe steak or eggs or something. I don't need any kind of crazy and I need the vibe to be positive, whether I sit down and maybe, what, maybe six out of 20 booths are usable and the rest are socially distanced. Or if you're coming out and getting a curbside, they need to make sure the food and the service is as good or better than it's ever been. You're exactly if it's right. Not, people are going to remember it. And a year from now, some genius somewhere in the world will come up with a vaccine or cure or, you know, whatever. And then things will go back to normal. And you're going to remember, hey, you know what? You served me that crap breakfast burrito. <laughs> I'm not going back. I hear you, John. Hey, you and crap j- breakfast burrito, go to Taco Bell or do it every day. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. John, we want to thank you for joining us. We're going. Uh, we're down to our last seconds here. Thank you very no, much. Go ahead. You go ahead and close it out. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Amherst. Kev, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Great talking to you, John. <laughs> Great talking to you. All right. That was John Cole, expert in uh, New Jersey diners. He gave you a great insight on Jersey diners. Let's wrap up the show. Matt Maritea, go ahead. It's tags. All right. Well, first off, shout out to a couple of my favorite diners. Kettle and Grill, where I used to work. Great people there. <laughs> uh, Olga's that's just reopened in Marlton. Okay. Uh, right on 73. It's fantastic. <laughs> and Ponzio's, because what is a diner conversation without Ponzio's? Exactly. Go ahead. And... Uh, I want to say uh, check out Last Out Media, the writing uh, set. 
make sure you tweet at John Cole and put pressure on him to bring back the meal heel segment that I'm trying to get him to do. At J underscore Cole. Yes, J underscore Cole. And me at Emmeritea22 on Twitter, Instagram, my podcast, Sport Chance Pod at Twitter and Instagram. Anything else, Google my name. You can find me. It'll probably show up there sometimes. It's either, <laughs> it's either me or a rapper, okay. and I'm not the rapper, so that Amorous, help. give us your tags. Um, first, and thoughts. first off, I want to say that I I think I might actually post up some of the recipes that oh, nice. yeah that that I had um, come up with, and you know, so if you follow Dining on a Dime, you can you'll be able to see it there, or nice. you can follow me on A R P O L L. O-C-K-U-S um, or Amorous Pollock uh, across most social media platforms. Perfect. Dining on a Dime 1 all over social media. We'll see you next week. You can now listen to all of our past Dining on a Dime podcast. Plus, see over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com.